Hey everyone, welcome to the Work Friends Podcast, where we bring meaningful conversations to you. I'm Jen Brubaker, and I'm here with my co-host, work and real friend, Ainsley Stanley. This season on the podcast, we're pausing to remember and reflect. Remember the key people and events in the good and hard seasons of life, and reflect on God's provision, goodness, and grace. We'll hear from old and new friends, even some that are no longer living, about God's unchanging nature through it all. Today on the podcast, we're back with Viv for part two of our conversation. Today, we are talking about Lilius Trotter and her incredible story. It's inspiring. You're going to learn a lot from this dead mentor. So go for a long walk because you will want to chew, savor, and digest this conversation. Do whatever you need to do and enjoy today's episode. And I'm also excited that this is a two-in-one conversation because we don't have to hang up the call now. We can continue to to chat. We've uh, got just enough of Julian to make us super curious and keep going. So that will definitely continuing on with that dig. And uh, next, another lovely lady that we get to learn from, uh, Lilius Trotter. Uh, you said it's another one of your dead mentors. I mean, it sounds like you have many. You're like, how do I even pick one or two? But we, we stuck I with two. I do have friends that are living as well. I just want to yes. <laughs> Just to put it out there. <laughs> That's awesome. That's wonderful. So you don't have to ask me those fun questions again? I'm, I'm free from them? No. Oh, yes, you're free Great. from the fun questions. Good. I don't have to have any more people over for dinner. Yes. <laughs> so um, how did you cross paths with... Lilius and what, yeah. what drew you to her? You know, what's amazing is there are so many people that we don't know about. And mm. it is amazing the people we do know about that are on social media. And I'm like, they haven't really done much of anything. And we all know about them. And there's so many people that have done so much stuff that we've like barely even heard of them. So I find this really encouraging to think like, it's not just that there's like these few um, famous, awesome Christians in our heritage. We have like, you know, thousands of amazing grandparents, essentially, which is just so mm. fun and encouraging. Um, and what's also interesting is only recently has the internet been a space where we could find out about people or, uh, and before that it was all just like written documents. So like, let's say, you know, my journals, you know, I don't know if you girls journal or anything, but like my journals are like only exist in one place, like on that piece of paper. And so if my journals got lost, that's it. I, I'm that story's gone. And so to think that as we discover in the archives, all kinds of cool things, there's really a lot of amazing, amazing stories out there. And Lilius is one of those people who um, there's this lady named Miriam Rockness who got really curious about Lilius's life and did a ton of research, created the website and a documentary. I don't know if you knew that there's this documentary that oh. exists about her. Every time I watch it, I am like tears streaming down my face and I'm not a person that cries a lot, but it's a very beautiful story and it's called Many Beautiful Things. So you should, I I can send you the DVD if you want, but it it just tells an amazing story. So Lilius wasn't even that long ago. She was born in 1853. So that's like what, 150, Mm. 170 Mm -hmm. years ago or something like that. So it's not even like, you know, we're talking just to put it in perspective, like a big gap between us and Julian versus like. Lilius wasn't Mm -hmm. that many generations ago. So she was like born in the Victorian age in London, kind of a richy sort of family, I guess you could say. And um, she loved art. She had people who were artists in her family and uh, she just had a gift for it. And at that time, funnily enough, 
women were not really artists, which is interesting because I oh. think now we sort of almost think the opposite, that it's a very right, yeah. female thing to be an artist. So she, um, in a nutshell, she was um, traveling with her mom. They were in a hotel, I believe it was in Venice in Italy. And they were staying at this hotel and found out that a famous person who was an artist was also in the hotel, like gossipy word of mouth, like, oh, so-and-so. And it's this guy named John Ruskin. So John Ruskin is historically a, a very prominent figure in Victorian era history, um, architecture, literature. He was just like an expert and like a, like kind of a prominent figure in society. And he was an artist. And so the mom wrote a little letter to have it delivered to his room and said, like, my daughter and I are here. She's, you know, into art. I'm wondering if you might be able to um, maybe have a look at some of her work. And, uh, and he agreed. And that began like this lifelong friendship between um, John Ruskin and Lilius. And um, really amazing thing, because to be kind of in his circle was a very elite thing mm. and uh to be very esteemed and to be a woman in that circle when it was predominantly male dominated in that world was like extremely privileged to get to do and he wrote this thing I, I'm not good with quotes I'm so sorry but he said this thing where he was like I'm become I'm coming to the point where I'm about to be persuaded that maybe women actually can be artists Mm. Um, so I don't know if for you either of you you've you know encountered times where being a woman was a hindrance or or stopped you from being able to do something that you had thought you wanted to do I think mostly in subtle ways mm-hmm. mm. um I don't know that it has actually hindered me specifically but I think that sometimes it requires some defense about right. your, your, uh, yeah, I guess just like, you know, if he says, you know, I'm starting to believe that maybe women could be artists and sort of just that of like the position of being like, well, I then have to prove myself that I could be X, Y, Z. Right. Yeah. I think I would agree. Mm. Not, uh, yeah, I think, yeah. I, what Ainsley said. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of things about what makes us us is our gender. And I am not like, a, I don't think of myself as this women's, you know, pro-women feminist person. But I do realize that my personality is quite a strong personality to be in a woman body. And sometimes um, my ideas aren't always viewed as as good because of me being in a woman body. So I think that, you know, I try to put myself in that idea of like having this opportunity to be in a world that was very much male dominated and getting to go, you know, show like it would be like being a a heavy equipment operator and, you know, you're backhoeing and digging out stuff and someone's like, wow, women can actually operate backhoes. And you're like, of course they can. Of course they can. It's about saying, but you'd want to like prove it. You would want to like, like, right. Let me just show you just how much I can do. But what actually happened in Lilius's life that's so radical is John Ruskin said to her, uh, you can't continue 
serving the poor as you love to do and do this art thing. If you want to be the artist you could be, you need to give up everything else and you need to dedicate yourself to art. And this was kind of the most like the pinnacle of like where she could have gone one way or another. And she was at this intersection and she was in turmoil trying to decide what to do. Someone really famous believed in her, was willing to take her on. She was a woman. Um, She came from a good family. There was just a lot of promising future. And at the same time, there was kind of a revival happening in England at that time to send missionaries out And she had been in the streets. She would go out in the streets and meet with prostitutes and um, helping the poor and women in the streets, especially. And she helped to found uh, the first kind of like soup kitchen kind of place where women could come inside and and be fed. And John Ruskin, who's this authority figure that everybody would have been like, wow, says you can't. You can't divide yourself like this. You're, You're too torn. If you want to be the kind of artist you'll need to give it up. So I almost feel like that call is kind of like if Jesus were calling you and saying like, you'll have to give it all, except for it was a person saying, and he was saying, you'd have to give yourself to art. So I don't know if you've ever been at a point in your life where you felt like torn between two really cool things that you wanted to do both. And it was like stretching you too thin. Mm. Mm-hmm. Every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Tell me> more. <laughs> yeah. I know, uh, like Jen will laugh at me without this. I'm the kind of person that gets excited about like everything. Yes. Um, I will laugh I, at you for that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I, we, um, we have a friend, Kim, who's been on the podcast before and she talked about like spiritual FOMO. Yeah. Um, like this fear of missing out on what God might want to do and this idea of just like needing to be a part. And mm-hmm. so I don't know if that I have it. Um, uh, I've had to definitely make decisions where I'm like, I cannot do all because it's yeah. too much. Yeah. Um, and having to decide between good opportunities, but I don't know if I've ever had it in like, that's a pretty extreme way. It's never been that big, but right. in, in other ways that feel big, I go through that all the time, like yeah. in my job and stuff. Yeah. Or even like deciding what you want to go to school for. And you're like, yeah. I really like this subject. I feel like this other subject, yeah, oh, you absolutely. know, like to love two things or like, I mean, I know this is really silly, but to like be at a restaurant and be like, oh, I really want to eat this. And I really also <laughs> want to eat that. Like, absolutely. It's a small version of like, I just don't want to miss yeah. out, Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. So that's essentially what Lilius was at in um, her thirties. Again, uh, was at this place where she had to make a decision. And this guy was like, I'm willing to take you on, but not in these conditions. At the same time, she was going to revival meetings. And um, at the revival meeting, they were like, we need people who are willing to go to Northern Africa. Does anybody feel the call? And she said, it's me. And she, um, and she gave up everything. And it would be really nice if it was that beautiful and romantic, but she actually applied to go on the mission and got rejected for health reasons. And so then she had to fund herself. So she raised her own money and her and two friends went to Northern Africa. They didn't speak any Arabic. They didn't speak any, they didn't speak French. And it was, that's, those were the languages. 
And um, so that was in 1887. So she would have been, uh, let's see, 34 years old when she decided to do that. And she headed out with her friends, no men, and this was in before 1900s, um, into um, Algeria. And I mean, I think a lot of people thought she was crazy. Uh, I don't know. I think I think I probably would have wondered this person yeah. had so much promise, you know. Wow. <laughs> I think the things that are kind of sticking out to me here. Number one, yeah, like you said, like this isn't that long ago. Like my great grandparents were right, probably right. Like I. Yeah. That's one thing that my my mom's side of the family is very like. My mom can go back ten generations and name everyone. And so, yeah, they're kicking around when my great grandparents were around. Um, wow, yeah, I think it's so easy for us to talk about these things and and then look back and it's like it's all okay. Like, I mean, like again, we'll go into the details of more of her life, but mm-hmm. it's interesting the gift of hindsight. But for her to make those decisions to give up. Yeah, just to cho- to choose to be faithful mm-hmm. and where God was inviting her and leading her. I think just letting the reality of that sit in this space is a lot and yet really beautiful. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I want to just clarify that this doesn't mean we all need to move to North Africa. Mm-hmm. Some of you might be called to do art and you actually need to do art. You know, mm-hmm. so it just means you are going to get to an intersection where you can't. OK, there's this really silly Sesame Street song um, <laughs> where, you know, Ernie, he just likes doing everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ainsley's like, I get that. And then Bert's kind <laughs> of like realist, like you can't do it all. And Ernie, you know, he's he's singing this song about. If, if you want to play the saxophone, you have to put down the ducky. And so he's trying to play. You have to watch it on YouTube after I'll send it to you. It's amazing. It's, it's literally Ernie trying to play the saxophone while holding his rubber duck. And it's not going so well because he's like blowing into the saxophone while squeezing the rubber duck. And it's just like, you can't do it all. You can't, you, you can't have the duck and the saxophone at the same moment. And, you know, that's a silly example. But we all get to that point where we're like, but I want that, you know? (laughs) And so it just means that for each person, there's going to be this moment where you'll have to make a choice between two things and you'll have to say, where's God in this? Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think it's always being a missionary in the way that we think of being a missionary. Our lives are a mission. We're living on purpose. And so um, that's, you know, just important to say that her decision to go to North, North Africa was a result of the inner calling that she sensed God leading her to, and uh, and that's what's remarkable. Mm-hmm. So, what did like l- life look like for her when she was living in North Africa? Well, um, she wanted to be to go into spaces where uh, women and children were. She uh, did all. It's said of her that the the, um, approaches or the tactics, the techniques that she used were about 100 years ahead of her time. So she thought of of ideas that other people had never thought of in terms of reaching people, in terms of using education and using art. She was she loved she always loved art and storytelling 
And this culture was very, very into that, very into bright colors and beautiful things. And what I love about it from my life is I'm not like an artist, like I draw, um, but I am a creative and I feel very moved by the beauty of the world around me and I want to capture it. And um, I think to realize that the most beautiful things we ever see might just be things for us and God together to understand. We might never be able to fully um, explain those things to someone else or to be fully understood. And so Lilius's life was dedicated. After that, she lived in Algeria for 40 years. And she kept in touch with John Ruskin. He kept writing her letters, trying to convince her to come back. And uh, and she would, like, send him, like, Christian books um, (laughs) instead. And she journaled almost daily for 40 years. Wow. Her journals are full of art. I sent you a few of them to Mm -hmm. look at. But she basically became a private artist for God. She started just sketching the desert, um, the people, what she saw and everything she saw had echoes of the way of God in it. And that's where I really, really resonate is that everything I see is like an analogy. I'm like, that's telling me about God. So she, she has some little books that she wrote about kind of seeds and flowers and how those things are showing her about the way the kingdom of God works. And unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it's but a single seed. And so she used all of these parables that she saw in life along with parables of scripture as ways of teaching um, and reaching people because they were just like the truth right in front of everybody. So her journals became her own um, love letter to God. And in that space, she never really gave up her art. So I think what's interesting is to think that you never really have to give up the thing you love in following God. He'll always weave it back in. Right. I don't know if you can think of an example in your own lives of something where you felt like you were giving it up and then you found that you actually got to do it in another <laughs> secret way. Mm. Well, I think, I, I think like being a missionary is one of those things. Like, I, I mean, I didn't necessarily like feel like I was going to be a missionary like forever or anything like that. Like my sister actually growing up always said she wanted to be a missionary. And, uh, but when I first, and the people listening to the podcast have, have heard me talk about this before because it was really pivotal. When I first started working at YFC, it was right after high school and I wanted to take a year off to serve. And I had been to Africa serving with YFC in Africa and I was like thinking about, and I, I had just been praying. I was like, God, like, just make it clear where you want me to go. Like send me if you make my pass. And I was like, I'm going to go to Peru. I'm going to go to Botswana. Maybe I'll go somewhere else. Like, and I had like all these like dreams and visions and I was like so excited because God was for sure going to call me to that. And then uh, Kevin asked me to work in Listowel, which is the hometown I grew up in and come and do (laughs) there for a year. Yeah. And it was like the literal opposite of what I was envisioning that year to look like. And yet it's like this well, you said it perfectly, like you feel like you're giving something up, but when you actually lay down those things, you realize that what God had in store is better. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Have you ever, um, I had a pasta machine when I was a teenager. I was a, a, one of those teenagers that wanted to be a grown up. And <laughs> you, you literally like, it's like you put the stuff that's going to make the dough, like the flour and the egg and stuff in this little churning part. And then on the end, mm-hmm. you like decide if you want the spaghetti extruder or like whatever the different shapes. And then it like pushes the right. pasta out. And what I think is like desire, like our heart's passion is that pasta dough. But then all these settings are like changeable shapes. It's like, it could come out this way. It could come out that way, but it's still pasta. And so you're like, I want it to come out in the shape of Africa. I want it to come out in the shape of Peru. And, and meanwhile, he's like, it could also come out in the shape of Listowel. Like it could, and it would still be the pasta that's in there. Like, but we're still fixated on, but like, I want bow ties. I wanted bow ties, (laughs) you know, that we sort of get a bit grumpy instead of going like your, your, your primary passion will never be lost if you're mm-hmm. following God. It will always be extruded. It just might not come out in the shape you expected, right? Mm-hmm. That is so well said. Oh my goodness. <laughs> now you want I a pasta never, machine, don't you? Now I just want to eat pasta in a pasta, pasta machine. Yeah, that is so well said. Wow, that's a beautiful image. Well, what does that helpful. look like? In, it's sorry, helpful. Images yeah. help us to touch on things that happen beyond words. And that's why mm-hmm. art is one of those things that touches us deeply because it's it's capturing something that we wouldn't. Actually, it's said that when um, Lilius first saw the Alps, her and John Ruskin went to go paint the Alps, she burst into tears. Wow. Mm-hmm. So to be overcome by beauty is a wonderful gift to be overcome with the goodness of God and to let our desires be a beautiful thing to be like, I deeply want to be a creative person. I deeply want to be someone who brings transformation where they go or whatever our deepest desires are to think that God isn't going to crush those. What he's going to do is crush them so they can come back to life again. Mm. And that's where the seed idea comes into play. It's like, first you have this beautiful flower and Lilius writes about, about nature and beauty all the time. It's all over her writings. She's like, a flower isn't a flower for the sake of being a flower. It's a flower for the sake of attracting a bee. And it's attracting a bee so that it can get pollinated. And it's doing all that, why? So it can die. Mm. Why does it need to die? Because the fruit, the, the real thing is hidden in the seed. And all the instructions and the information to do it all over again and more are hidden in death. And that's where she starts to explain about Jesus's invitation into death through things that everybody would understand, like a flower in that setting. So Mm -hmm. for us to recognize that the the, the deepest desires we have, God doesn't want to take them away from us. What he wants Mm -hmm. to do is bring even more, and that comes through us handing them over. Mm. So good. (laughs) Wow. I, yeah. And I just want you I to love, know, yeah. um, Lilius, there is no record of people getting saved through her efforts of 40 years. Interesting. There's no record of her planting a church or a massive revival or any, like, we don't have documentation. But we have her journals that show her lifelong journey of faith. So in our lives, we might not see those seeds come to life. But like, 
we just talked about someone that lived 700 years ago, and I am personally encouraged. That's a seed that took 700 years yeah. <laughs> to grow. So just think the people that we're talking to, it might not be within any visible time that they will experience transformation or change. And it doesn't mean that we weren't called to do that. And I think we sometimes use really short periods of time to measure our effectiveness. Hmm. <laughs> I just again I laugh at myself because literally probably once every episode there's moments where I'm just like I just need to take a long walk to chew on this <laughs> like in this moment I'm just kind of dumbfounded and lost yes. for words a little bit it's so good and I just so appreciate the way that you are like telling the stories mm. of these uh dead mentors and then drawing out like gold from like, like just truths from scripture truths from that they yeah. experienced and yeah that we tomorrow can experience i'm too. gonna put that dvd in the mail for you so you can cry your yeah. head off when you have a little country called many beautiful things um so and you know what else i think is really wonderful is this um both for both of the women we've we've spent time talking about is an invitation to a secret life mm. Both of them were invited, whether physically to withdraw to a small space or to withdraw to another country. But either way, there was an invitation to what I call obscurity or hiddenness. And to re realize in our lives, the most beautiful things we ever do might not be seen by any other person, but God knows. Mm. God knows what he's doing in your heart, in, in your inner life, and he delights in it and he sees it. It's like... Which flowers are more important? The ones that everybody sees are the one on the backside of the mountain that grows and dies and nobody ever lays eyes on it. Mm. And think like, it doesn't matter which flower you are. If you're the famous one or if you're the not famous one, you're seen by the eyes that you really want to see you. And, mm. that, and, to, and once you get that new vision, it's like you don't even care if anyone else sees you anyways. Hmm. So, and in the end, Lilius really got the best of both worlds because she got trained by this super famous guy, but then she got to take all those things she learned into this secret world where her and God were laboring together in love and it was transforming her inner life so that it could be mm. this beautiful expression of worship. Mm. Mm -hmm. Ainsley's smirking at me because at the beginning of each year, Supervisor Kevin gets us to kind of like pick a word for oh. the year or just like focus, right? Mm -hmm. And um, my word for this year was hidden and oh. you nailed it. I'm just like, yeah, cultivate. Again, it's so cool looking back on people's lives and seeing the way that God has drawn out that piece. And again, we can, in, in this conversation, we cannot unpack everything about these women's lives. Like it's impossible to sum it up. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. the fact that hiddenness in Christ, like that's been my prayer. Yeah. And so hearing the way, even like hearing bits and pieces of how, like I see how that has, God has shaped you um, with hiddenness specifically and the things that you've gleaned, mm -hmm. like, like I can tell the way that you speak about these women and about, yeah, God's word and truth that you've taken the time to, to, yeah, to sit in it, to chew in it, to, mm -hmm. um, yeah, not for anybody else's eyes, except for God's and, and for you. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I just am so, again, I'm just sitting in this posture of worship. <laughs> like, wow, God, so can so I ask good. you what, 
what made you want to choose that word hidden? What made you feel drawn to that Mm. word for you? Fantastic question. I think too, just before the pandemic, God um, was really, uh, I wasn't good at practicing spiritual disciplines really. I mean like, yeah, reading your Bible, good, praying, good, but I wanted more. And so I think at the beginning of 2020, God really was um, inviting me to dive into learning more about what that actually means, but it's not just about following rules. It's about a way of life. Mm. And so through Mm. different readings, I mean, John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry was very helpful. (laughs) And, um, yeah, like since then, I think, by the way, I think not to John Mark Comer got that from um, John Ortberg, who got yeah. that from Dallas Willard. And so that's actually, Dallas Willard is actually the person that said we should ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives if we want to see Jesus. And he he is um, the founder of the Renovar Institute. So the, actually Dallas Willard, if you want to do some good reading, there's a lot of good reading out there. Oh, I have you need to grow a big stack shelf. of books like Ainsley and start reading, you know, five books at a time. <laughs> I think I have a decent amount of books. I just read them one at a time. Yeah, just one at a time is good too. Yeah. We yeah. need people like you in the world that finish the books. <laughs> Thank That's you. beautiful though, yeah. Jen. That is beautiful to have mm. sensed this invitation and to have been brave enough to say yes. I don't think there's a lack of invitations going out in the mail on, on from God. Mm. I think there's right. some people that haven't haven't gone to check the mailbox recently or are still debating whether they want to answer that invitation mm. because there's a cost to every invitation, just like there was a cost to Lilius's life of that invitation. Mm. There's a cost to saying yes to the hiddenness. And that's, mm. it's a gift that God knows you've given by saying yes to hiddenness. Mm. Mm. Thanks so much. That's really encouraging today. <laughs> mm. Well, actually, I was going to ask you the same thing, but maybe with a different twist. I I recognize you talked earlier about FOMO and this whole idea of missing out. And how has that been sitting with you recently? Do you feel like you're getting a new perspective on this with maybe COVID being part of it or just your own growth and development? Do you feel that it's maturing in you, this this whole letting go of FOMO? (laughs) Yeah, it, it totally is. And I think because some of it, like I didn't even notice it for a long time. Like it wasn't really like a awareness and then just realizing. Um, and I think this reminder of like, like I, I just think about like if, if this, I, I've had this moment before, but it keeps coming up of like, if this was all I ever did with my life is what I'm doing right now. Yeah. If nothing ever changed and I just did this for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Mm-hmm. Like, would that be enough for me? Mm-hmm. And I remember just like thinking like, but like God just being like, is it enough for me? And it's just like, what I have called you to is enough for me. Yeah. And it's not about trying to do all of the things. And so I think that there's definitely a piece in that. Like whatever I do, every time I let the Lord decide or call or lead or however you want to do that. Um, it, it, it is far more rewarding. And I think that like Jen will often quote her mentor that says like the best adventure is always with Jesus. And I think for me, that's a huge reminder. And, um, even my, my word for this year was cherish. 
And I just want to cherish every moment Mm. and not be worried about the, you know, when you talk about like, I just want to live X, Y, Z parallel lives and um, not having to do that, but being able to actually just, yeah, embrace and cherish the moments and like, what does God have for you today? Um, And I find it very grounding, very grounding. Uh And it it brings a lot of contentment towards the things that that I I am doing Mm. and not doing. That's a gift. You know, um, I said I said in one of my parallel lives, I'd love to bike around Paris and eat bread and cheese. Mm. Um, I got to do that for a few days when I was on my sabbatical, and it was wonderful. It really was wonderful. But what I realized when I was biking through the streets, like just glowing with this joy that I had no idea where I was going and I didn't really need to be anywhere on time, was that nobody else seemed as excited as me. Like all mm. the people that actually live in Paris are not like in love with living in Paris. Like I'm sure they like it, but it was just like, they were living what I considered my dream and they were kind of meh about it. And I was like, how can that be? Like, how can that be? And so I think, you know, it, it just is again, underlining what you're saying about like, it isn't about where you are. It's mm. about where you are. Mm. So Listowel is just as good of a place as any or not based on where you are on the inside. Right. So it's a, it's, it's a, our inward position is the space that changes the outer position of our whole lives, you know, makes everything either okay or not okay. And for Lilius, it's what made her be able to turn away from the potential fame of recognition, of proving that a, a woman could do art in that mm. era and that time under a, a famous mentor, or it was the difference between, um, you know, the the going to obscurity, basically living in Northern Africa and learning Arabic, you know, mm. her inner position was a joyous one. And so she could cherish those moments. But if you're always thinking of where you aren't, you can't mm-hmm. even be present to where you are. <laughs> so then Absolutely. even the beauty that you're in isn't beautiful anymore. So that's the too bad mm-hmm. thing about the FOMO pandemic. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I think that we could talk for hours on end. Well, we can and another time. We won't. <laughs> yes. And hopefully, hopefully that time will be in person, face to face. But yes, yeah, doing this online is the second best thing. I'm not so. cemented into a room, so I am available Amazing. to move around. Perfect. Thank you for called to that. Um, yes. Or Northern Africa at the moment, so I'm available. Yes. But thank you, Amazing. girls, for your good questions and your curiosity. And I just pray that you'd continue to be encouraged that the places you're in that feel alone inwardly, um, Mm. you are accompanied not only by God, but that there's other people's stories that are in that space as well. And that can just give you that little, that little push that you need right now. Mm. Thanks so much, babe. We so appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. So much fun. Thanks so much for listening. We know you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. And we have more amazing conversations like this coming up. So you know the drill. Subscribe, follow, check us out. New episodes every Monday. You'll want to find them. You can check us out on Instagram at just work friends. We're also on Facebook. We're also still in search of our American listeners. 
So if you're part of the 6%, please <laughs> let us know. Who are you? <laughs> Show yourself. <laughs> I always sing that. It's all I think about. We want to know who you are. We see you. We acknowledge you. We appreciate you. You're seen and known here. But we would love for you to reveal yourself. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>